0: There's a long tradition in which wilderness symbolizes time and space for personal growth or change. And this theme was continued by author Cheryl Strayed, who detailed the story of her 1995 solo hike of more than 1,000 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail in her book, Wild. Strayed made the decision to embark on the hike as a 26-year-old whose intense grief following her beloved mother's extremely quick death from cancer had broken her so deeply that she was engaging in a whole host of behaviors that she knew to be risky and destructive, but she couldn't make herself stop. So it was that Strayed began hiking in the Mojave Desert of California with a backpack that was nearly half her own weight. While there were some meaningful interactions with people she met along the way, she was mostly alone on the trail. And the lack of company gave her plenty of time to examine her thoughts, consider her life, and make peace with some things that she wanted and needed to let go. She experienced numerous struggles along the way, including everything from constant and intense foot pain to the worries of a woman making her way alone on an empty trail. But of all that she endured, the most difficult challenge was facing herself. As Strayed wrote in her book, *Wild*, I would suffer. I would suffer. I would want things to be different than they were. The wanting was a wilderness, and I had to find my own way out of the woods. The wilderness, or as the text here tells us, desert, is exactly where we find Jesus in our story from the Gospel according to Matthew. While the story exists in both Mark and Luke as well, there is a unique quality here in the Gospel of Matthew, as he is concerned with the conflict between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God that is proclaimed by Jesus. And making sense of the conflict between those two kingdoms is central to understanding both the plot and the theology of this gospel. As a new interpreter's Bible commentary suggests, in Matthew, God and Satan are hidden opponents throughout. So while in this particular story, we are meant to see the conflict between the goodness of God and the treachery of Satan. That conflict is happening behind the scenes throughout the entirety of the gospel account. But in the story that we concentrate on this morning, the conflict between the goodness we aspire to and the temptation we hope to be able to turn away from, that's front and center. And it takes place in the wilderness to which we are told in the text that Jesus was led to by the Spirit. Being stuck in the wilderness or the desert is not a new biblical motif, as we well know. And it did not begin with Jesus. As we can see countless examples in our scriptures, from Adam and Eve to the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. Biblical scholar and writer Rachel Held Evans writes, in the Bible, the wilderness is the place of danger and desolation, creeping with wild animals and threatening with rugged, parched terrain. In life, it's the long journey through grief those years between calls with your grown kid, a season of caregiving that stretches your reservoirs of patience and perseverance, the aftermath of a divorce, the season of doubt, the period in between jobs or in between relationships or in between diagnosis and healing. In the wilderness, God can seem very far away or absent altogether. It may take weeks or months or even years to get back on track again. The 36 or so days in the wilderness in front of us now are commemorated with the Christian season of Lent, a time of repentance, fasting, and preparation for the coming of Easter. It is a time of self-examination and reflection. In the early church, Lent began as a period of preparation for baptism by new converts, and then became a time of penance for all Christians. Today, Christians focus on relationship with God, growing as disciples, and examining ourselves, often choosing to give up something or to volunteer and give of ourselves for others. In the wilderness story in Matthew, we see Jesus choose to deprive himself of food, even though we know from the text that he was hungry. And he not only deprived himself but use scripture to explain why. There is a sense that despite his enormous hunger, his spirit did not waver. He declined the devil's invitations to put himself to the test and in the end used both a sense of surety and calm and words of scripture to send this Satan away. As the Oxford Study Bible makes clear, this Satan isn't the little red guy with horns that we may have imagined. But rather, Satan in this text represents evil conceived as a personal will that is hostile to God. That Satan is us. As Padraig Tuama says about the temptation in the wilderness in his book, In the Shelter, at various points in our lives, we each face these proof tests. And the question isn't whether we are or are not gods. The question is whether we are going to use our capacity to shortcut, to destruct, or violate the art of being human. Hello to temptation to take the easy way out. Hello to the temptation to self-destruct. Hello to the temptation to worship what will serve us. Lent as a wilderness experience has always given a kind of permission to draw deeper into ourselves for prayer and meditation. Lent has been a time when the rumination and pondering that I personally do quite naturally has been given space, even affirmation. Not rumination and pondering like daydreams, but the kind that allow for self-examination and opportunities to strengthen faith practices. As writer and theologian Frederick Buechner so beautifully said, after being baptized by John in the River Jordan, Jesus went off alone into the wilderness, where he spent 40 days asking himself the question, what it meant to be Jesus. During Lent, Christians are supposed to ask one way or another what it means to be themselves. This is a helpful reminder, at least for me, because as an introvert drawn to the kind of contemplative spirituality Lent so easily makes space for, I am inclined to assume that being myself as God created me is staying inside my comfort zone. But this time in the wilderness, this time of Lent, is an honesty room that won't allow that shallow assessment to stand for me or for you. Instead, we are reminded that God has given each of us a fullness that we can easily overlook. We can choose not to embrace every dimension of ourselves because it's uncomfortable, uncharted territory. But Lent is an opportunity to see ourselves in all fullness and give thanks for the ways we are living out God's call to us, while also being honest about the ways we are failing to live out that call. It's an invitation to change our ways, turning to God in all our fullness, and figuring out all of that can be messy. And yet, what makes us think that God will be deterred when things don't go as they should? I believe that God is God and meets us even in the midst of mess. So much of the suffering that we endure is self-imposed. We get stuck inside our own minds and forget that God is beside us, God is bearing us up. The summer after my second year of seminary, I was scheduled to complete clinical pastoral education at a local hospital system along with a group of peers. Most of my days as a chaplain in training were composed of visiting patients who were strangers and offering them prayer and other spiritual support. We were also responsible for being present at deaths and ensuring that death certificates were completed. So that summer I was present as a number of families were grieving the death of someone they loved. It was hard to know how to act at first, and it felt incredibly awkward to meet people for the first time who were experiencing one of the worst days of their lives. But I quickly understood that the people I had come to see did not need to process my discomfort as they were experiencing loss and figuring out how to mourn. I'm grateful that through my supervisor and some experience, I quickly learned that my purpose was not to share flowery words or platitudes, but to bear witness to their suffering and their grief. To be present with love and compassion when there were no useful words to be said. Because it turns out that grief is itself a wilderness, and loving presence can bring a modicum of peace to an otherwise completely bleak landscape. And then several years later when my own beloved mom died, I got through that wilderness because others were lovingly present, present with and for me. The thing I keep circling back to in my mind is that before Jesus could proclaim the good news to the people of Galilee, before Jesus could preach the words that we are still hearing today, he was stuck in the wilderness, driven there, in fact, by the Spirit. The good news for Jesus, and I believe the good news for us, is in the six words and the angels came and attended Jesus, which end the story and bring enormous comfort. For whatever testing Satan may have done and may do, we know that Jesus wasn't alone. If we're looking around, I suspect we will begin to see the ways that angels are attending to us. Whether it's the people we live with who are looking out for our well-being by making the morning coffee or always offering a listening ear, or maybe even the friend from church who calls to check in every once in a while to make sure we're doing okay. Maybe it's the angels helping us find the humor in life despite the circumstances, the kindness of strangers in stores or on the street, Or people taking a few minutes to send a note of care or support. Or even just our neighbor snowblowing our sidewalk for us. We don't know for certain what the angels waiting on Jesus looked like or what kindnesses they shared. But I feel pretty confident that when you and I think about these wilderness days of our own, we can identify countless people who have reduced our suffering in this time of waiting. And furthermore, we can spend the next 30 or so days of Lent dreaming up ways to be the angels waiting and attending others. If Lent is anything, it's an opportunity to get really clear about the systems and patterns of life around us. Where are the places we can be present for others? What are the ways we can interrupt systems of oppression that have benefited those with privilege and piled more burdens on those without? To be inspired by the angels who came and waited on Jesus, we have to be paying attention. And paying attention, well that's what Lent was made for. I absolutely believe that one of the greatest gifts God gives us is the ability to find something meaningful even within disaster. To bring something redeeming from something terrible. After all, we believe in a God who makes a way out of no way. That means that despite the difficulty we find ourselves in, there is still a Lenten message worth considering for us. Jesus was tempted and waited in the wilderness. And then he began his public ministry that began with a call to repent to turn from old ways to something new. As the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary says, to prepare for the Lord's coming, people must make a radical return to God. They must entrust themselves to God's word and not go looking for their own insurance policies. Excessive anxiety about success and security often leads to compromise with our religious values and personal well-being. We allow activities associated with work or school to eat away at time for family or worship and for service to others in our communities. The good news is that we can still experience the rule of God in our lives. It will not be a smooth road to fulfilling all our dreams, however. Jesus begins to preach in Galilee after the king has imprisoned John the Baptist. Turning to the Lord means turning away from all the voices calling us to walk some other path. Ouch. Those words hit hard. Especially since very often the voices calling us to walk some other path away from God are our own. But the good news is stronger than any other voice we might hear and it calls to us again and again and again. As our earlier story from Genesis makes plain, humans have always known temptation. But that does not diminish the truth that God does not desert us. This doesn't mean we will never stray. It does not mean we won't get our priorities confused but it absolutely does mean that we are never alone in the wilderness and that we can always find angels attending to us. If we look, and perhaps even more importantly, we can always be the angels others need. If we put aside our own temptations and turn an eye outside ourselves the gospel of mark only spends two verses speaking of jesus temptation and uses one of those verses to communicate that after being tempted jesus was attended to by angels and there is enormous power and solace in that. Welcome to the wilderness, my friends. It is God who meets us here. Amen.